This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Well, good morning, River Church. If you don't know me, (laughs) my name is Michael Gerald. I'm actually the pastor here at the church. (laughs) I've missed you guys. I I will say this, though. We've had some awesome preaching while I was out these last two weeks. Haven't we? Y'all give it up for Ryan and Joel. Come on. They did a great job. Thank you. Ryan thinks he did a good job back there, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Hey, I want to make you guys aware of something real quick. Uh, Tyson mentioned these. We have these communicate, or we have these uh, worship guides. And uh, if if you don't grab one, you need to because there's a lot of great stuff in here. One, there's that communication card that he talked about. There's also in here uh, a thing that has all of our community groups on it. So if you're not involved in a community group, they have all where they're at. Well, they have a contact uh, for each group. You can get involved, and then also. Um, something that we think is pretty important, we have notes. And so you can take notes and follow along with me. And one of my favorite things in this is at the bottom of it, it has the reference verses. So it has every verse that we use or we reference uh, throughout the sermon. And so that's just a great resource for you guys. And so if you're not taking advantage of it, uh, you should. You should. It's got some great stuff. So, um, But anyways, I'm excited to be back here with you today. And this series, this Who Is This Jesus series, um, is a series that was kind of, we kind of already planned on going this direction, but then it really was birthed out of and came out of the Daniel series um, as we were looking at the Babylonians and how they were kind of creating God in their own image and shaping who they thought God was and not who God says he was. And then I began to think about how whenever people would interact with Jesus and people would talk with Jesus while he was here on earth, they kept asking themselves kind of this question question, who is this Jesus? I, I was thinking about Nicodemus and all the Pharisees that would kind of interact with him and even the woman at the well and these different people that they would meet Jesus and they'd kind of just be taken back and go, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? And, and as I was kind of thinking about that, I really, really, and even conversations I've had with different people um, over the last few months, I think that there's a lot of people still asking that question today. I think there's a lot of people out there asking the question, who is this Jesus? And if we're honest, there's so much conversation about Jesus. There's so many people talking about Jesus. And I would say this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's probably in human history, nobody more loved than Jesus, but also nobody more hated than Jesus. And it's pretty amazing because if you think about Jesus, he his life just if you just just look at his life and not the scriptures or anything else it didn't seem to be that impressive like he never traveled more than 100 miles from his home he was born poor he died poor he was murdered on a cross uh for being a criminal <laughs> and yet if we look at him and the impact he's had on human history there's no nation there's no army there's no person who has impacted human history more than Jesus. And because of that, there's so much talk about who he is. And I think that if we're not careful, um, if we're not careful and, and we don't think it through and we don't approach who Jesus is from a biblical perspective, we're gonna, we may have a mistaken identity about who Jesus is. I saw this week, I saw this article put out by MIT. And I thought it was pretty interesting. They began to, they were studying people who wanted to kind of be unique. Anybody want to be unique? 
You're special. You're unique. Okay. They were kind of studying people who are unique or wanted to be unique, wanted to be different. And they started studying people who kind of, they said, Hey, I don't want to be like everybody else. I'm not going to follow the kind of music that everybody else follows. I'm not going to dress the way everybody else dresses. I'm not going to watch the same TV shows that everybody else watches. And they kind of, they just wanted to be individuals. And as they're studying this, these people, What they realized is that these group of people who wanted to be different, wanted to be unique, wanted to be on their own, what they did is they separated themselves from pop culture and eventually created a pop culture of their own. They all kind of came together because we're kind of tribal people. They all ended up coming together and creating this own culture that was just as big as pop culture. And so as they're doing this study, they're realizing this and they, they took a picture off of kind of like, uh, like a picture on the internet, you know, that's free for anybody to use. And they used that as an example. They used a guy dressed as a hipster as an example. You know what a hipster is? If you don't, we'll talk later. It's okay. <clears throat> and anyways, uh, so they used a picture of this guy dressed him as a, who was a hipster. They said was a hipster. They said, this is a, this is an example of this happening in culture. And This guy saw the picture and saw the study and he realized, he's like, hey, that's me. (laughs) He's like, that's a picture of me. And he was insulted, right? He was mad about it. He said, and you guys didn't even ask my permission. So he emails MIT and he's like, guys, I'm not one of these hipsters that you're talking about. I'm not one of those people. Uh, Furthermore, you didn't pay me to use my image. I'm upset about this. I'm angry about this. And, And I just, I'm just insulted overall. So MIT comes back and they go, man, we want to make this right. And so they go and look at the image. And as they looked at it, they realized it wasn't actually a picture of him. <laughs> he just looks so much like the hipster. <laughs> it was a case of mistaken identity. And he essentially proved their point. <laughs> what I think when it comes to Jesus, there's so many cases of mistaken identity. There's so many people that when it comes to Jesus, they say, this looks like Jesus, this sounds like Jesus, but it ain't Jesus. At the end of the day, it's a case of mistaken identity. If we're not careful, like that study, we post up a picture of Jesus and we look at it and go, actually, that's not really him. And we have to be careful because our world has so much to say about Jesus. Like if you look at pop culture, there's TV shows that talk about Jesus or what Christians are like. There's t-shirts that talk about Christians. There's movies that talk about who Jesus is. There's um, music that talks about Jesus. I mean, every person that ever wins an award on a TV show or a movie or music, they get up and what do they say? I just want to thank Jesus, my Lord and Savior, despite the fact there's a lot of that stuff Jesus had no part of, am I right? There's different religions that talk about who Jesus is. Jehovah's Witnesses, they say, hey, he wasn't really God. He was just this archangel. You got Mormons who say, hey, Jesus wasn't really, uh, or he was a God, but he was just one of many gods. As a matter of fact, you can be a God too, and you can even get your own planet. Sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? Anybody want to get our own planet? Thinking Mars would be cool. Maybe Jupiter. There's universalists who say, Jesus wasn't really God. He's more of like a Mr. Rogers type character. Scientology says he was just an implanted force. What does that even mean? Implanted force. And then my personal favorite, I think I've told you all about this one before. There's a group of people, a religion, that's the Canadian nudist arsonists. They believe that Jesus is a code word in the Bible, and every time you read the word Jesus, you do mushrooms, get naked, and burn stuff. (laughs) Sounds like it might be worth looking into. (laughs) There's a lot of famous people who talk about Jesus. Thomas Jefferson said, Jesus did not mean to impose himself on mankind as the son of God. 
Fidel Castro says about Jesus. I never saw a contradiction between the ideas that sustain me and the ideas of that symbol and figure, Jesus Christ. Essentially, we're the same person. And Mikhail Gorbachev said, Jesus was the first socialist. Nietzsche said, Christ died too soon. If he had lived to be my age, he would have repudiated his doctrine. Interesting. The Lakota Native American tribe says, Jesus is the buffalo calf of God. That's probably closer than any of the rest of them. And Kanye West thinks he is Jesus. <laughs> All of these opinions about who Jesus is, and we live in a tolerant society, right? We can't disagree. We can't talk about who, you know, if you, hey, you've got to let people think what they want to think. Like, we live in a such a tolerant society. I heard about a, a phone company. They wanted to set up uh, phone lines for different religions and people of faith to call into. And so they did one for Christians, one for, uh, you can go down the list of all the different religions. And so they said, we'd call in and talk to somebody. They'll pray with you on the prayer line. And um, this atheist group got upset about it. He said, we want to be included in this as well. We want to, we want to. And so the phone company said, well, we want to be inclusive. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So they set up a phone line for the atheist group. And it's pretty cool. Actually, you should call it because you call and it just rings and <laughs> rings and rings and nobody ever picks up. <laughs> but anyways, all these things are said about Jesus and talked about who he is and all these opinions about him. But don't you hate it in your own life when someone talks about what you believe and someone talks about who you are and, and talks about who you should be, but they never actually go to you and ask you what you think about it? They never actually go to you and think about what you said about who you are or what you said about what you believe? And so what I think through this series, what we're going to do I think the best way to find out who exactly Jesus is is not just to talk about who Jesus is, but to actually go to Jesus and look at what he said he was, who he said he was. Because at the end of the day, we have to look at who he said he was, and then it's actually, it, it, that doesn't change. We look at it, this is who he said he was, and then it's up to us to decide whether or not we believe he is who he said he was. Does that make sense? We can't change who he was based on what we or who he said he was based on what we want him to say he was. We look at who he said he was, and then we as, as individuals have to decide, do we believe him? So Jesus claimed to be a lot of things, and we're going to walk through that in this series. He claimed to be the shepherd. He claimed to be your, your friend. We're going to talk about that next week. He claimed to be the Lamb of God. And, um, but this week, we're going to talk about some pretty big ones. I think the, the, the place you've got to start. And so for me, the first thing that Jesus claimed that he was, and this is the first blank in your notes, the first claim, the first thing that Jesus claimed that he was, was the son of man. Now you might be looking at that and you're going, well, Mike, I'm the son of a man. <laughs> I'm the daughter of a man. That's what's so special about that. Well, what's interesting about this phrase, the son of man, is that Jesus claimed to be the son of man over 80 times in the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over 80 times, or roughly 80 times, he claims to be the Son of Man. And when you look at it, it's more, it's not just him saying, yes, I'm the Son of a Man. It's actually something much bigger and than you, we actually realize on its face. Matter of fact, um, Jesus steals this phrase, Son of Man, or I won't say steal, he borrows this phrase, Son of Man, from Daniel, who we just got done talking about. Right? And what happens is God gives Daniel this vision, and I'll, I'm just going to read the vision for you. He just gives, he gives Daniel this vision, and here's what he says, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. 
And I continued watching in the night visions, and I saw one like a son of man coming down with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. And he gave authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed." So Daniel's given this vision about the one that they said would be the son of man. And this son of man is a pretty big deal. And as you see in the vision, it says he comes riding down on a cloud. And what that was was symbolism as the son of man coming down from heaven. And he's given authority and dominion over earth by the one they call the ancient of days. And in the Old Testament, the ancient of days is the name for God the Father. And he says that this son of man is going to build this everlasting kingdom. And as he builds this everlasting kingdom, every tribe, every nation is going to bow down to the son of man. And in the Old Testament, the way they viewed this, this son of man is that he was someone who sat alongside God the Father as an equal. And as he sat along God the Father as an equal, he was given this messianic mission to come to earth and to redeem mankind that he would trounce every enemy, that he would rescue these trapped people of God from their slavery, and that this Son of Man is going to be exalted over all peoples, all nations, all cultures, and all religions to be worshipped as the eternal king. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's saying something pretty big. And he's actually making a pretty enormous claim. And I think it's pretty cool because oftentimes we're reading the scriptures and we just run through that. Oh, the son of man. Okay. And we just keep going on. But when you think about it in that terms, when you think about that, that's who the son of man was supposed to be. That's who the scriptures say this son of man that's going to come is going to be. I believe that that completely changes the way you read that. Like, let me give you an example. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, for even the son of man, this is Jesus talking, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as he calls himself the son of man, remember what that means. The king, the exalted one, the one who will be uh, given dominion over all earth, the one who's been given the mission to come and redeem mankind, the one who sits as equal with God the Father. He says, me, the son of man, the king, the exalted one, I didn't come to be served by you, which that would be me. You give me a little bit of power, I'm like minions, right? (laughs) Serve me. Jesus says, no, The son of man, the one who's been given all authority and dominion, did not come to be served by you, but to serve you, to love you, to lay down my life as a ransom for you. Man, that's cool. Man, that's cool. So when Jesus calls himself the son of man, I think understanding what that means makes it so much more powerful. What he's saying to you and me when he calls himself the son of man as I am the prophesied king that the Old Testament talks about, the one who's going to come as the Messiah to rescue you, the son of man. The second claim that Jesus makes about himself that I want to talk about today is he claims that he was sinless. You say, what does that have to do with the son of man? We'll get there. Now, if we're honest, there's a lot of people out there who think they're perfect. Am I right? I've been accused of that once or twice. Not of thinking I'm perfect, but being perfect. Anybody ever been to a gym 
There's a lot of people at the gym who think they're perfect, right? Oh, man, look at those triceps. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, my shirt almost ripped there. Y'all see that? Bicep. <laughs> but even people who pretend like they think they're perfect, deep down, we know we're not, right? Robert Brault said, nobody's perfect, and our fondest memories of anyone are the amusing ways in which they prove that they're not perfect. <laughs> There's a great Chinese proverb that says, even the best needles are not sharp on both ends. I don't really know what that means. I just thought it sounded wise. But there's something interesting about Jesus because even those of us who maybe act like we think we're perfect would never be bold enough to say, I've never sinned in my life. And yet Jesus makes that claim. Even the most religious, pious, best of the best Christians, right? I use that in quotation marks, in the world would never say, I haven't sinned in thought, word, motive, deed. But Jesus does claim that. As a matter of fact, he keeps claiming it, and they try to kill him because of it. And one of the times, he gets fed up with them in John chapter 8, 46, because they keep trying to stone him for things he's saying. And he just essentially looks at him in John 8, 46, and he says, look, who among you can even convict me of sin? Saying I'm perfect. There's, and what's amazing about Jesus, not only does Jesus claim to be perfect, but to all of the people who are closest to him make that claim as well. You say, well, Mike, why is that a big deal? Because it's the people who are closest to you who know everything that is wrong with you. Am I right? Like if you went to Katie and you're like, man, Katie, you are so lucky to be married to Mike. I mean, he's just so good looking. He's so nice. I mean, muscular, fantastic. What else? You guys got any other ones for me? No, I'm just kidding. You bald? <laughs> His head is perfectly shaped. If you went and said that to her, she would say, let me tell you about Mike, right? And I think that's true for any of us. It's the people who are closest to us who know your faults. They know your trigger points. They know your weaknesses. They can tell everybody else every single thing that's wrong with you, right? And yet we have the people who are closest to Jesus claiming his perfection. And he kind of had a, a, a circle of trust. Even inside the 12 disciples, he had the three, Peter, John, and James. And I'll just give you real quick these that they said. Peter in Acts 3, 14 claims Jesus' perfection. And 1 Peter 1, 19 claims Jesus' perfection. And 1 Peter 2, 22 claims Jesus' perfection. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 18, and these are all in your notes. You can go back and read them later. John said it in 1 John 1, 8. He said it again in 1 John 3, 5. James says it in James 5, 6. Not only does Jesus claim his perfection, but those who are closest to him claim his perfection as well. And they're right. And you say, well, Mike, why does it matter? Why is this such a big deal? Why did Jesus have to be perfect? Why does this claim that he was perfect matter? Well, because the Bible taught us that this Messiah who is going to come, the only one who could save humanity from our sin, the only one who would come and save humanity from our hopelessness would be one who had to come and live a perfect and sinless life. The one who gave us our salvation, the one who could redeem us by his blood on the cross had to be perfect. If Jesus had sinned, he would be just as hopeless and just as lost as you are and I am. The only way the Son of Man could fulfill his mission was to live life perfect and sinless. And we see Jesus make that claim about his life. We see those who are closest to Jesus make that claim about his life. But Jesus doesn't just claim to be without sin. He does something else that I think is even crazier 
Jesus claims that he was able to forgive sin. He claimed he was able to forgive sin. And not like, hey man, I forgive you for calling me bald, David. Yeah, I know that voice. <laughs> not just like, hey, I forgive you, but like, hey, I can take this sin out of your life. I can redeem you. I can, that brokenness and that sin that separates you from God, I can fix that. And Jesus makes this claim. And, and it's, it's amazing. One of the times we see him make this claim, he's sitting at a dinner uh, with a bunch of religious leaders at their house. And, 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 you know, these are the guys that are constantly challenging Jesus and trying to kill him. Like, you know, why would you be hanging out with these guys? But Jesus does. And uh, they're at their house for dinner. And as they're at dinner, this woman comes in. And she walks in, and she comes to Jesus, and she bows down at his feet, and she has this perfume, this, these oils, and she begins to, to wash Jesus' feet, and she's just crying, and she's literally washing his feet with this, this perfume and her tears, and she's drying his feet with her hair, and it's just this incredibly beautiful scene. And, and here's how Jesus responds to what she, what she does. He turns to the Pharisees in Luke 7, and he says, look, you didn't even anoint my head with olive oil, which was a sign of honor and respect for a guest in your home. He says, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil, which was really expensive stuff. And he says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And check this out. Her many sins have been forgiven. He says, that's why she loves so much. She loves me because I've forgiven her. <laughs> Anybody experienced that? I love you, Jesus, because you've forgiven me. He says, but the one who's forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this man that even forgives sins? And I, and I love that he says this at the end, verse 50. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not the action of coming and washing his feet, but her faith, believing in who Jesus was. You look at the Pharisees and they're going, who is this man who claims to forgive sins? There's another example in Luke chapter 5, and Jesus is teaching in this home. The house is just packed out. I mean, there's people everywhere. You can't even see through a window. You can't see through a door like the crowds are just pressing in. They, they just, they got to get to Jesus. They want to see Jesus. And there's this guy who has some really great friends. And he's this, he's paralytic. He's paralyzed. And so these friends believe that if we can just get this guy to Jesus, if we can just let Jesus see him or touch him, if we can just get him to Jesus, then we believe that Jesus can heal him. And so these friends bring this guy to the house, and the only problem is it's so packed out that they can't even get to Jesus. They can't even see him. They, I wonder if they could even hear him, right? And so they come up with this plan. They say, hey, we're going we're gonna to get you up on the house, on the rooftop, which, one, this paralytic guy really trusts the, his friends, right? Like, we're going to host you up, host you up on the roof. We're going to cut a hole in the roof, and we're going to drop you down. It's crazy enough, it just might work, right? And so they do that. They cut a hole in the roof. They drop him down in the roof. And look how Jesus responds, Luke 5, 20 through 25. Seeing their faith, once again, faith. Seeing their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. And you can almost hear the guys thinking like, hey, we came here to get his legs fixed. <laughs> friends, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and Pharisees begin to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And then this is like the freaky deaky part, right? Verse 22, but perceiving their thoughts, that's what you start messing with your head, right? Jesus replied to him, 
why are you thinking this? What? <laughs> like, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Man, Jesus is awesome, right? What's easier, to forgive somebody's sins or to heal a paralytic man? Get up. Like, just boss move, right? That's awesome. <laughs> he says, but, but so that you may know, who does he call himself? So that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So not only am I the Son of Man, but I want to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Both times, Jesus forgives. Both times, Jesus heals. The response of the Pharisees, the people around Jesus, is who is this Jesus? Because the only one who can forgive sins, they say, is God. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make. Because the fourth thing that Jesus claimed to be this morning, River Church, was God. And you say, why does it matter that he claimed to be the Son of Man? He claimed to be sinless. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. Because all three of those things that we're talking to today was Jesus pointing you and I to the direction of him revealing to you and me that he is God. The Son of Man was supposed to be God. Only God can be sinless. Only God can forgive sins. And so as Jesus is claiming these three things, as he's pointing us to these these three things, what he's saying to you and I is, I am God. And what happens oftentimes in our culture is these things get taken out of context. These things get twisted. And what people say, like Thomas Jefferson, Jesus didn't really ever claim to be God. Well, yeah, he did, Thomas. And what I want to say to you this morning is Jesus absolutely, unequivocally claimed to be the God of the universe. As a matter of fact, he does it so often, and I kept alluding to this, that the Pharisees keep trying to kill him. In John 8, 58 and 59, he claimed to be God. They try to stone him. I was going to make a stoning joke, and I shouldn't do that. John 10, 30 through 33, he claims to be God again. They try to kill him. And the final time, well, yeah, this is the final time. Let me show this to you. Mark 14, they arrest Jesus. They beat Jesus. They put him on trial, all for these claims to be God. And what they say is, we want to get to the bottom of this. Are you claiming to be God? Let me read this to you. 14, 60 through 62. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer anything. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, which is the Savior, God? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And the Blessed One they're referring to is God the Father. Are you saying you're the Son of God the Father? Are you saying you're the Messiah? What they're asking Jesus is, once and for all, tell us, are you claiming to be God? And Jesus' response Verse 62, I am, said Jesus. And I just love this. And all of you will see the Son of Man 
seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. His response was the same response God gave Moses when Moses said, who are you? What can I call you? God's response, I am that I am. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? The Messiah, the one who's given all authority, all dominion over earth, equal with God the Father, sent here to save you and me from our sins. Like Jesus couldn't be any more direct. And what's interesting, if we were to keep reading, the chief priest rips his robe in frustration, anger, and agony, I guess, and starts screaming, crucify him, kill him. And they do. And I did all this today because I don't want us to get this twisted. I want you to understand when our culture and our world begins to talk about Jesus and they say things like, well, he was a good teacher. I don't really think he was God, that he can't be that. He unequivocally claimed that he was God of the universe. C.S. Lewis says this. He says that he says Jesus' claim to be God made him one of three things. He was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he's Lord of the universe. Let me read the quote to you. I, I love, I'm going to read the entire quote. It says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is, C.S. Lewis said, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who thinks he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either he was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that up to us, and he did not intend to. You can spit on him and call him a fool. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and worship him as Lord and God. What I want to say to you this morning is this is who Jesus claimed to be. This is who he said he was. Do you believe him? Because there's a lot of people who say, oh, he's a good teacher, a good God. He had some good ideas. But here's the thing is that if Jesus was not who he claimed to be, he was not a good person. You say, well, yeah, he still could have been. No, he, that means he manipulated and lied to a group of people who all gave their lives and died for that lie. He's not a good person. He's a manipulator. But if he is who he claimed to be, then there's some pretty life-changing stuff in there for us. If he truly is who he said he was, if he truly is the Son of Man, then what that means for us today is that he was given dominion over this world that he's the ruler of this world, that he was sent here on a mission to save us. That means that if he is who he says to be, if he was sinless, if he's able to forgive sins, that means he can forgive you today of your sin. That means he can heal you today of your sin. That means whatever that is, that junk that you're walking with or that you're carrying with you, that means he has the power and the authority and the ability to heal you, to save you, to transform you. 
And if he truly was God, like he says that he was, and that means he's the Lord of the universe. It means he's the king of kings. It means he's the creator of all things. And it means that he is worthy of all of your devotion, worthy all of your praise, worthy of all of your life. And it means he's the provider. It means that he can take care of you. He can fulfill the promises that he has for you. It means that we can, as his followers, go to him in our times of need. And we can come before him and say, God, I'm broken. Jesus, I'm broken. Jesus, I need you to heal me. Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Or Jesus, I need you to provide for me. I don't know what to do here. I don't know where to go here. And if he is God, then it means he is able to help you. It means he is able to lift you up. It means he is able to heal you. I don't, I don't know where you are with Jesus today. I don't know if you, I mean, maybe you've been a devoted follower of Jesus your whole life, but you forgot to believe that he can actually do these things. Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe, maybe you've never given your life to him today, but let's make the day that that all changes. Let's make today the day that that all changes. Because I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are. I don't know what life looks like for you today, but I believe that you need something from Jesus today. And what I want you to remember today is that that truth, he is God, if you believe it with your whole heart, means a lot of really incredible things for you and me. It means he cares for you. It means he loves you. It means he can heal you. It means he can provide for you. And this morning, I want you to come to him in your need. I want you to know that he can heal your family. He can heal whatever's going on in your work. He can heal whatever's going on in your life. He can heal whatever's going on in your relationships. What I want to encourage you today to do is to come to him in your need. And so this morning, let's stand up together. Let's stand, and, and we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to start off, and we're going to worship him, right? Because if he is God, that means he is worthy of all of our devotion, all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our worship. And I want you to do what I want to challenge you to do today is that if you believe that truth, that he is God, I want you to respond to that truth in your heart. I want you to respond to that truth by either worshiping him, adoring him, lifting him up. What did, what did the woman do? And what did the man who was the paralytic man that were healed, what did they do when Jesus forgave them of their sins? The woman, Jesus said, she loves me much because she's been forgiven much. Maybe we need to just love Jesus today. What did the paralytic man? It says he went away, and I bet he was dancing, but it says he went away glorifying God. Maybe because of this truth that Jesus is God, maybe you need to glorify God today. Maybe you need to worship God today. We need to love him back. Maybe you also got a need today. Maybe you need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you are God. I believe you can move. I believe you can change situations. I believe you can forgive me. I believe you can heal me. Wherever you are, come to him, respond to him today. However you need to, you can come down here and pray. Last week, people made an altar out of these chairs. Do that. I'll be here. There's others who will be down here that you can come and pray and talk with. You can sit in your seat and worship God and pray to God. He can meet you right there. But my challenge to you today is don't be unmoved. Whatever you believe about that truth, Jesus is God. I want you to respond to it today. Father, I love you. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for who you are, God. I believe it. And I believe it means things can be changed. I believe it means a whole lot for us as Christians and as a church. 
And so God, let us embrace that. Let us let us respond to that truth this morning. Let it not just be another word. Yeah, Jesus is God. Okay, I get it. No, let us press into that and see what that means for us today, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.